is The MS Show, the weekly podcast for people impacted by multiple sclerosis and home of the MS Action Takers. I'm Bron Webster and I've been living with MS over 25 years. Together with MS experts and real life people with MS, I'll be sharing tips and stories that will help when the MS gets real and inspire you to be an MS action taker and get in charge of your MS life. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the MS show and we are moving on to explore early retirement, stopping work, pausing work, all those things that we might have enforced on us or we might actually choose to do when we live with MS. So I'm joined by Roger. Hi, Roger. Hi there. My name is Roger Cook. Uh, I was diagnosed with MS formally in 2001 after bad double vision and other things you can't see. Um, And here we are today and I'm very lucky to be here in this podcast. I'm very grateful to you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Roger. And also joining us today, we've got Rachel Tomlinson and it's not Rachel's first time on this podcast. Rachel joined us when we were talking about diagnosis stories in in the early days of the podcast. But Rachel, thank you so much for coming on to this uh, discussion around stopping work when you've got multiple sclerosis. Thank you. Hi, Bron, and thank you for um, inviting me to this. It is actually something that's triggering me quite massively at the moment. Um, So I look forward to chatting. Brilliant. And also joining us today, we've got Martin Baum. Martin has been on the podcast also when we were talking about Martin's story. I believe it was just a bit of a free-flowing discussion around things, but... Martin has really kindly agreed to join us as we talk about stopping work when you've got MS. It's nice to have you here, Martin. It's nice to be asked back and I've been looking forward to it. Brilliant. So thinking about when you were diagnosed, how long ago it was, but then how long after you were diagnosed did you think about giving up work or how long afterwards did you face the fact that you were being pushed into a corner to give up work. So just thinking around those two, um, what do you you want to talk about, Rachel? Come to you first. Um, Well, I was diagnosed in 2018, but I was, that was kind of official, they told me, but it was prior, quite a long while prior to that. Um, and I oh, it was August 2018 when they gave me like my official diagnosis and I actually stopped what I'd been off work sick nearly a year and I was having regular month by month um, sickness meetings and while I was off work we went into a restructure and I was slotted into a role and then it and, and at the same time, there was sort of redundancies and things like that going on, but I was slotted into a role. And not long not long after I'd been diagnosed at all, they, I was approached by my boss to have an off-piece discussion about um, taking VR. And, voluntary redundancy. Yes, voluntary redundancy. 
Um, and I went to the meet. I went to the meeting because up to this point, I'd, I'd attended my sickness meetings with my union rep, and then up to, and up to this point, that's she'd been present. But I made the stupid decision that I know now in hindsight was to have this off-topic discussion, and um, it's not something that it's not something that I know I should have done, and I, it's something that's really triggering me quite a lot at the moment. Um, in the fact that I felt that I wasn't pretty much forced into it because um, I was given the choice of taking VR, um, going down capability, or um, and that was kind of it, really. And the sort of in hindsight, no, because no, I'd worked for over 30 years, I went straight out to work as soon as I left school. I didn't know about disability and I didn't know about disability rights and things like that. So... Now I do know about disability rights. I do know that, the, that they actually sort of forced my hand and pushed me into a corner. And I ended up taking VR and it all sort of happened really quickly. And then sadly, because I, I didn't get enough to live on for the rest of my life, obviously I sort of kind of got a year's wages. Um, but what you, you do realise at the time is once you've done that, you can't get any benefits, you can't get anything. Um, I was on standard pay for both at the time, but that was all I was getting. So the rest of it was literally just paying stuff out. And I, and I went to, I remember going to housing benefit and them saying to me, you're going to have to spend your money because that's the only way we can give you housing benefit. Um, and in the midst of all that, I I left my home as well to move into an adapted bungalow. So now it's kind of, as I say, it's it's a, it is a massive trigger to me at the moment because um, I, I know Brom knows, but I, I very sadly lost um, my dog two or three months ago. And that seems to have been the trigger point for a lot of things. And, and especially this and the fact that I'm kind of sat here doing not a lot. Yeah. And I do um, currently volunteer. So I, I volunteer. I volunteer all over in the MS Society. I'm... Um, and that kind of keeps me going. And I've also got a blog and do a lot on social media and things as well. So, But I do yeah. bitterly regret the fact that I didn't do take it further at the time because um, I worked in the NHS, would you believe? And I, that seems just so ironic that they couldn't wait to push me out the door when they realised. I mean, the, my top boss actually said to me in the VR meeting, we wouldn't be considering this if you didn't have MS. Well, that is just wrong on every, every level. Yeah. But I didn't think about that. I just went, yeah, whatever. And I was actually grateful to them. I thought they were doing me a favour. But doing me a favour would have been offering me different options of how I could continue working. Um, yeah. But they didn't. That offer was never made to me. Well, so the ramifications of that on the rest of your life, because of that one discussion that you had off the sort of, off the record without a union rep is really sort of coming home to impact how things are, isn't it? For you financially. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just, I mean, to the degree that I, you know, let's be honest, up to the degree that I'm actually um, in talking therapy about it at the moment, not just that, but that sort of the dog was the crux of not, of me suddenly realising that I had MS and suddenly realising that I didn't have a job and, and things like that. And I think 
I think the thing we suddenly realised in about MS is I threw myself headlong into being a patient advocate and supporting other people. Um, but I didn't think about supporting me. And that's all sort of come to a head now. And I was in a very well-paid job as well, so. Yeah. Okay. So we'll come back to it, Rachel, and we'll sort of talk around it a little bit more. But, Martin, can I get sort of your, a bit of your journey around the similar kind of things? So in terms of your diagnosis um, and then the whole stopping work I was working from 1976, even before that, Saturday jobs and so on and so forth. And I was very active. I worked markets. I was, I'm a trained jeweler. I was a trained jeweler. I did engraving, very specialised, close work. And MS came to me in late in the 70s, diagnosed that 1984 uh, diagnosis was very cold, sort of more or less you've got. MS and I'm really sorry you know jog on and it's it didn't I don't know I think mentally it affects you affected me more than the actual MS because what happens then is you, I became weaker in my mind because I used MS as an excuse which didn't help me this and this is all in hindsight all these years on now I wouldn't dream of doing it it's almost like I'm doing as a confidence trick of telling of fooling people that I can't do something for myself, but that's been decades and decades in that realization. But then with parents who wrapped me in cotton wool, it didn't help me. But I, I, I moved on and then I sort of I've had various relapses, uh, bad vertigo at one stage where I couldn't even get myself up off the floor. That was fun. Um, and then what what moved me away from, from sort of retirement, if you like, although I would never have called it retirement, was when I was looking after Josh when he was, this was working for the Metropolitan Police. Uh, she was um, in charge of secretarial pools when they still had them before they copies started writing their own, um, their, their own statements. And a bit like Marks and Spencer's because if they weren't happy with them, they could always change them. Oh, bad joke. But anyway, so I'm looking after Josh, Liz is off at work, and then suddenly my voice goes like that, and I sound like Rocky. And I'm reading him a story, and God knows, it didn't do any damage to him, but it, the change was as quick as that. I phoned Liz, and she really had difficulty understanding me, but she came back, and that was the moment she left the job, because I just couldn't cope. But we mm -hmm. muddled through from there. Um, I started writing. And I was okay at it. I thought, yeah, this, this is something I can do. Until, as from, as from time to time, the MS says, you're not going to do that. And so I used Liz as, as my secretary. She would write it, which I hated because couldn't, I couldn't say what I wanted to say because you, you change things as you write. But we, we muddled on. We moved to Dorset and that helped and it was great. And then it wasn't great. And then we returned back to... So Harvardshire, it's we've managed because we work well as a team. I think we're mm -hmm. we're one of the best teams going. And I listen to her late on. She's not my enemy anymore. And so I'm, what, sorry. Sorry, Martin. Where did all that fit in terms of working and transitioning away from work? 
um, I transitioned away as the various MS symptoms came and basically just went with the flow. And at that stage, then you look at your finances and yeah. the finances meant that we could move to Dorset, cheaper house prices. And then when we're in Dorset in this wonderful house and then couldn't afford the house. So we moved to a smaller house and we managed. And the thing that was on our minds the whole time was Josh mustn't know our problems because our we were parents. We're in charge of this little boy and we, we couldn't put on his shoulders. So we managed. Everybody has to manage at some stage. I realized long ago, I'm not the exception. I'm one of many. And it's realizing that has helped enormously because we're not the victims. Well, we've got MS, but that's part of life. And I've realized that through COVID, that they're tremendous victims because we don't die of MS, but you die of COVID. We, we, no matter how difficult, we live to fight another day. As miserable as those days are sometimes, but it's better than not waking up. Mm. Surrounded still by family. Um, Roger, I wanted to come to you and I wanted to make sure we could talk about the stopping work elements. Have you had any more thoughts around coming to terms with the stop and not being able to work? Top my head says no, Ron. However, I was thinking that I didn't see yesterday in my MS journey, which we've all had. Yeah. There is one thing, by the way, I was going to say about university, I didn't see yesterday, and a few things. I've got a good friend from university to talk to now, and he was a doctor. She was a medical student at the same. Uh, she's now working in Euro kind of things in London, doesn't matter. Um, but she told me approximately 10 years ago, Roger, I saw things in Euro 97, which is kind of not particularly good to hear. But in 99, it's a four-year degree in, in classical, by the way, and my third year exams, really stressful, and myself and Pete and Sam, two mates, were studying exceptionally hard for set exams. And I thought because I was a lot of sitting done on a wooden chair, that's why I was getting numbness, pins and needles from the waist down. And the control of my bladder and even the bowel wasn't normal. Which again, I thought was down to the wooden chair. Think about it. That's, that's MS. You should bring its head. It's exceptionally stressful. Fish, bash, bosh. That's a relapse of sorts. And year after final degrees, I had a lump stuck in my throat and other little things. Again, falls in line with the final exams and the condition, etc. That was the university story in MS, by the way. That's that one nailed. So yeah, that's my working thing for yourself, Ron. Yeah, um, thanks, Roger, for yeah. for clarifying um, the whole. I guess it feels like it was almost a slide into um, you deciding to stop. Yes. I definitely chose to leave because that job for different reasons. I wasn't comfortable there. The person I was working with, them, a lot of them were ex-military, that's fair enough. Clever guys, caring, but different kettle of fish, which is to, to myself. Um, you know, Biggie, I didn't leave because of them, don't get us wrong. In Malvern's a beautiful place. It's also when, when you're in mid-20s, pretty dull. <laughs> so these things combine, <laughs> and with the MS getting worse, etc. I thought, this I've got better. And like you say, had I stayed, and how I pushed myself towards them about my condition. I'd, I'd seen a couple of people, the, the MS nurse in Southwest Worcestershire, I think. I'd seen once, my GP knew, I saw a few terms of different things as we do. But apart from that, 
I don't know until the end of my time with Lockheed Martin. And had I told the people that above earlier on, I could have maybe started earlier on a DMV, disease modifying drug or similar, and stayed there with better conditions than I had. But again, that's that's magic word, like you say, more in hindsight. Been and gone 15 years ago. I think what's really become apparent to me since I've sort of been in the community as much as I have is we are all workers. And I mean by that, I mean, you know, like I'd, I was... I was grew, I grew up on a farm for the first 10 years of my life. So I mean we were on we were working on the farm, that was it. And then obviously we had paper rounds and um I worked in the local shop when I was about 14 years old. And and I think I was never out of work until I got met until I took the year. Um and I think that's apparent with all of us. I think we we seem to be a real sort of hard working um Loved, I mean, I loved my job, absolutely loved my job, loved my customers and everything. Um, and it was a real wrench to me that I didn't properly deal with at the time. What would you wish you'd done differently? And what would you say to somebody who is considering their options? Thinking about the stopping work perspective, what would you say to someone who is considering or is being faced with stopping work. What do you mean do differently? Is there anything that you would do differently? What, by giving in, up? Uh, stopping work. You want me it's, to give you my answer? Yeah, because you've been, you've been raring to go. Yeah, you've been yeah. raring to go, Rachel. The thing is, I'm talking about this a lot at the moment, so it's quite easy for me to say this. The one thing that I, that I should have done that I didn't do was take my union in with me. I should never had a conversation without my union rep. Um, I feel very, um, I felt very, now I feel I was trapped into the off the record conversation because now I know different that they couldn't make that decision and they weren't in a position to make that decision. And if my union rep had gone in with me, she would have said, no, stop, can't do this. You have a disability. They now have a process they have to follow. So my only advice to anybody who's thinking about stopping work is take all the advice you need. If you're in a union, speak to your union. If not, speak to ACAS. There is so much, if not, speak to disability rights. There are so many organisations out there that will talk you through it. And the very last thing that I would have been advised by any of those would have been to take voluntary redundancy. They may have advised me to take medical retirement, which was a discussion that was also going on at the time. And I sort of saw 10 grand a year as not much, not enough to live on. So that's that was another reason why I made the decision I did. Um, but yeah, my, because I didn't know, because I had no idea, and it, I bitterly regret the fact that I didn't take my own um, on board and say, no, I'm not speaking to you without my union rep. And I mean, at the end of the day, as soon as I told her, she went, right, I can't represent you anymore. So I'd lost any union representation because I'd gone off the books. Wow. Can I ask you, Rachel, do you, at the time, would you have viewed redundancy and retirement differently from a personal perspective? Yes. Was one more palatable than the other? Yes. Redundancy was more palatable than retirement. 
I was 51 years old. So it was down to your age. And it was definitely, it was the, definitely the reason why I didn't think about retirement was like, because in the back of my mind was the redundancy meant that I could then find another job if I wanted to. The retirement meant that that was it, everything was over. So yeah, there was definitely that finality with the retirement to me. Yeah, that's that's a really great insight. Thank you for that, Rachel. Really, really appreciate that. Um, Roger, I'm just thinking just that second head down. Um, yes, I mentioned there. I did plan to I did leave with a franchise. I made a decision to leave that job with an opportunity to come back here, blah, blah, blah. However, hindsight again, the magical age word, I would have maybe spoken to other people, not didn't have a union, but somebody like that Rachel and crew to get more advice regarding my situation and where I was with my MS to see if what could be done for me staying there if I wanted to stay there or make things clearer for me while I was finding things exceptionally bloody hard that I was. Um, and now really, I now know why I find that find what I was doing so hard, condition challenges was making what I was doing so bloody hard, um, which did swing me to leave. Big, big, I thought, well, I can do it but not as well as I should be able to do it. Um, so I, I like to research, but I did not do any regarding my situation then. So I would have looked, would like to have taken more time on me, for me, in my situation, do I do right? If I do, where will I go? In what status? Could I be possibly uh, a VR or similar in line, uh, in conversation with the powers of be in my job, as opposed to accepting, just put a notice in and go on, which is what I did do. So yeah, I would have taken more time and thought about it more. But yes, I was younger. I was 27 going on 28 at the time. Hindsight. So, yeah. yeah, and it's the whole worldly wise thing about when you're in your 20s, yeah, taking those rash decisions, isn't it? Well, sometimes they turn out to be a little bit rash. It was difficult at twice that age so to, to make those decisions at, at your age, Roger. Is yeah. and the other, the other one that I would throw into it is you need. You need to know, you need to understand about reasonable adjustments and access to work. I didn't even know access to work existed. And I'd been a manager for years, but I didn't know it existed. Yeah, because, well, why do you think it is? I mean, I can say for me, probably because I would never have said I'm disabled. I would never have admitted it to myself enough to gone and searched down that particular avenue. So I just think for people that might be listening into this, even if you're not disabled, 
and you don't view yourself as disabled, don't let that put you off researching using that mindset. Um, and if you never, you might never be disabled in your own opinion, but don't let that stop you using that to help you research and find out a little bit more. Um, Martin, have you had any thoughts around those types of questions about what you might do differently in relation to what you decided to do with your days um, and what you would say to somebody who's considering giving, giving up, giving in? We don't do that. I, I, thought, I thought hard about this, especially listening to, to Roger and, and Rachel it's uh, for me i wish i would have been more accepting to change my attitude now is totally different to as it used to be i'm less defined digging my hills in it's looking at everything in, in the round um it's one door closes another one opens glass half full half empty where if your glass is half full or half empty get another glass life is full of opportunity and i've i've written that on on, on answers to your questions that you put out there. If you're going to be stuck in the past, then you will not progress. To progress, you have to move on. It's like somebody not getting over a, a broken relationship. You're always thinking about what ifs. Well, that doesn't matter. And so that's what I would do. As hard telling a younger person, if you like, because their life is just starting. Mm. I was in my 20s and I was dreadful to people because I had MS and they're going to pay because they didn't understand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's yeah. down to me. You know, we've, I've put Liz through lots of changes because she's supportive of me. Now she's into broadcasting. She's done your show. She's done the MS Guide show with me. And it's like, we're moving on. Her life's changing. So MS is just enforced opportunity. So there's no point saying I didn't do this and MS stole this and MS stole they, MS didn't steal anything. That's just MS. I don't like what's coming up for me, which I've told you about, but I deal with it. Mm. But I like Rachel's attitude, the fact that she can help other people should she wish. So, Rachel, do you want to tell us about your when MS got real for you? It was prior to official diagnosis and I had sent, I was, I always believed myself to be, well, a spreadsheet wizard and I used to do Excel training and what have you with the staff. And I'd sent a quite detailed spreadsheet off um, to our head office in London and my boss rang me and said, what on earth have you done with this spreadsheet? You can't make no sense of it. And I said, it was perfectly all right when it left me and he was like no it's just I can't, we can't work it out and the following day my colleague came down and said this is where it's wrong this is where it's wrong this is where it's wrong and I couldn't see it and that was literally the Thursday and then I had the conversation with my boss on the Friday of um things are slipping, you're falling asleep in meetings, you're late for meetings, and there was all sorts going on. It all sort of culminated in one go. And then the following Monday was when I fell asleep in the car on the way to work. Thankfully stopped. 
at the time in a car that stopped its engine, but it was nine o'clock in the morning. And then I was given the decision, the choice after an hour of sat in an office crying, which is not me. I don't cry. Mind you, I have cried a lot in the last few months. Um, but of sort of capability, dropping down a band on the same money or going to doctors. And my decision was to go to doctors. Yeah. And I never went back to work after that. Tough times. Very tough times. Maybe to get diagnosed. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your shit got real moment. You're welcome. Martin, Mm. can you tell me about when your MS shit got real for you? Oh, God, yes. I can give you past and present. Oh. When, uh, as a, how old was I? As an, I think early 20s, very early 20s, maybe late teens, when I started falling asleep and I got lethargic, my eye dropped. I had blindness sessions and that's when I saw a specialist. That's when I had a, an MRI. That's when I had a lumbar puncture. Then I was diagnosed. That was past. Present was something I was going to keep quiet, but as you've asked the question, you couldn't help yourself, was getting a UTI three weeks ago, which has led to um, side the worst pain ever, to me now going to have to be catheterized. Catheterized? That's the one. <laughs> um, but that should be the worst moment ever because I'm in the 60s and it's like, what else can MS throw at me? Well, it's still throwing, but I believe I'm handling this a lot better than I did the first time round. So live and learn. Yeah. yeah. So two instances from Martin there about when his MS shit got real. And continue to share in those and continues to get on periodic basis. So lots of emojis, cards, money. I'll take it all. Let's <laughs> have a whip round. Release the song. Thanks ever so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please, can you help to grow the audience? If you can subscribe, rate, review this podcast, it all helps. And if you'd like to get in touch or just send me an email, you can do that by emailing hello at multiplesuccess.co.uk. The address will also be in the show notes.